0: is huge I mean it's like a man it's big
1: Kane, son you still don't understand what you're dealing with do you? perfect organism just tell me one thing Burke you're going out there to destroy them right? not to study not to bring back but to wipe them out
2: that's the plan you have my word on it alright I'm in Ah!
1: run Look on my wax, ye mighty and despair.
3: Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm Patrick and I'm joined by Christian Motzka, Andy Girl. and a very special guest tonight whom we will introduce momentarily. But before we do, we got some other special people to mention, which are our patrons for the last six or so weeks. I'm going to go back to October 12th. We've got Jeff Deloff, Tom Baker, Chris and Ryan, Darren, Rob Harvey, Varun, and Julie Margison. Margison? Still don't know. Uh, if you want to join them, go to perfectorganism.com support or just search us on Patreon. We got tons of stuff coming up including a lot more blade runner content lately so if you want to hear that uh including an exclusive new episode that i'm dropping tomorrow a week ahead of time for patrons uh please do sign up and without further ado a very special welcome to one of our patrons and just a great dude who has been in touch with quite a few of us actually for some various projects over the last six months or so uh welcome to perfect organism mario benvenuto how you doing
0: i'm doing great i'm super happy to be here thanks for having me on yeah when I first started listening to you guys about like two years ago, like my second episode in, I was telling my sister about the show and uh, I was like, I don't know how I'm quite going to do it, but I really want to get on there somehow. So like, I'm happy that I put that out here or like put it out there and then I'm actually get to be here. So I'm super stoked.
3: That's awesome.
2: It's great. Manifest in the dream. (laughs) Um, So speaking of your alien journey, um, we always ask this of guests and we'd love to hear your story as to how you first, you know, discovered the universe? What movie did you start with? Tell us, tell us your story.
0: So my my history is a little patchy, uh, and I was just kind of putting this together the last couple of years ago. And I think I saw Aliens when I was about four or five for the first time. So a, a little young, but the way I was able to try to figure out what age it was uh, was from my dad was working during the daytime and my mom was working nights, so they would swap. Uh, like who would like on their way into work, they would like switch the kids in the car and stuff like that. So I feel like around 2000, 2001, Aliens and Predator, I believe, were like always on TV. And my dad would fall asleep on the couch and I'd be sitting like not even on the couch, like on the floor, just like right next to him. And uh, I I would see bits and pieces of Aliens. I remember watching like Bishop get cut in half and him saving New right before she went to the airlock and just like i i never saw it start to finish i can't even remember it was years later and i always thought that was the first movie for the longest time but yeah at a very young age which is funny because uh my mom never wanted me to watch bambi as a kid because like the beginning of the movie um with like the mom passes away and meanwhile she's at work and i'm just watching aliens and (laughs) just watching all that breakdown so I just became more of a fan as I got older. And Aliens has always been uh, my favorite. Uh, although I will say I've grown to like Alien more and more as I get older. That That's such a, a great movie as well. But I mean, overall, as, as far as the franchise goes, uh, I'm a big fan of everything. Definitely my favorite monster and f- favorite like franchise of all time. But Aliens definitely takes the cake for me. Especially with uh, all the props and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like that movie... I could probably, if I spent the rest of my life making stuff just from that movie, I think I'd be okay. Because there's just so many different things to take from it. But uh, yeah, that's a little bit of my, uh, my alien history.
1: Aliens is a gateway drug to prop making 100%, especially when you have something like the, um, the motion tracker, which is 100% found parts. And once you, you know, with the with the advent of, of eBay, it's like, wait a minute, I could actually find all these pieces somewhere across the globe and put them together and have the exact same thing that they had on the set. That, that speaks to me. That definitely drew me in as well absolutely and especially before like
0: 3d printers and things like that to where you can just kind of print the part like i'd imagine like 10 15 years ago trying to uh gather all their supplies for like the actual props that they made in the movie was really cool i remember my dad had a uh an old hammer drill and i was like oh man this thing's a good like 30 years old and i'm like there's no i was like which one did they make in the movie and i quick looked it up it didn't match but i was like oh there was a chance that <laughs>
3: Yeah, I like how sure. we're all just like glossing over the fact that Mario was talking about watching it as a four or five year old in 2001. I, I'm just yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of shaken by that. I just want to put that out there because 2001, <laughs> I'm sorry, was nine years ago. I think, uh, you know, I was going to keep telling myself that No, there was a time before 3D printing, apparently. I don't know. I, I think. Uh, but. The 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 whole I mean the thing with that uh, with with aliens and also with movies like Blade Runner right is that they were really partly kit bashed films themselves right like they were assembled out of all these composite parts and I think for a lot of kids and the first thing that I ever collected which and you know it's actually behind me it was a was this like supposedly screen used shell casing from the movie but that was like you know which was on eBay when eBay was like a horrible dial up website you know, and that, that was all it took. And then I used that in all these different uniforms and outfits that I would make for myself and like strapped it to a helmet, you know, and it's kind of, it's, it's an amazing, like Christian said, gateway drug to not just prop design, but, you know, imagination in general. And I guess to that end, before we get into the conversation more tonight, Mario, you have a really interesting background. You have a YouTube channel, you've uh, worked in escape rooms. Uh, can you give us a little bit of your kind of professional maker background as well?
0: Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, I am an electrician by trade. Uh, My dad's an electrician as well. So I started doing like side work and stuff with him when I was about 13 to uh, get into like an apprenticeship later on to like what I do now uh, full time. It was about five or six years ago, uh, me and my one buddy decided to build an arcade machine from scratch. And that was like the first project that we ever did. I built like the whole frame and then he put the uh, like the little raspberry Pi together to make the whole arcade machine run. And uh, once... That first project was like, like once it was made, it was like, oh, I can kind of like whatever you like think of, like if you can just like put the effort in, you can kind of get something out of it. My whole family thought it was like almost crazy when I said I was going to build an arcade machine. they were like, okay, yeah, sure. And then I remember my dad coming home from work one day and seeing like the frame of it basically put together. And he was like, huh. So ever since then, like now I'll just rattle off something I'm going to make. And they're just like, okay, he's just going to do something weird in the basement again and come out with a, a project. But yeah, it was, uh, early on was woodworking and then 3D printing rolled in and now a little bit more of uh, metal work. And it's kind of all a, a combination, which was really fun for the escape room project because that that hit a little bit. at Like that was almost uh, everything I've learned so far. Uh, and then through some coding in there too, which big shout out to my buddy, uh, Andrew Howard, who I mentioned a lot in my one video for that because he helped a tremendous amount in that project with all the coding and stuff like that. Yeah, just kind of self-taught. I started the YouTube channel up around three years ago, I believe, just to kind of document my process uh, and all the projects I do and stuff like that. But yeah, electrician by trade, but I kind of seem to dabble in a little bit of everything.
1: I would say that I am a very proficient 20th century maker, right? And Mario is a very proficient 21st century maker. And those are very different skill sets, as it turns out, because I will look at something and say, oh, okay, I see how I could I could make that out of maybe wood or... Or plastic sheeting, and I'll use some some two-part epoxy, and I'll just kind of mod podge the whole thing together and give it a, a coat of paint. Mario, it's like, oh, well, what I'm gonna do is first I'm gonna I'm gonna 3D model this whole thing and figure out how where the electronics are gonna go and where I'm gonna put the the pie and all this. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then to have seen some of these things in person. Okay, so, so Mario sent a colonial marine hand torch for use in our upcoming alien film. And this thing arrives in this beautiful box that is aged and, and just looks super rugged, like it's straight out of the APC. And so I take this thing out and I and I realize, of course, he hasn't sent it with fuel. So we have to fuel this thing up. And so he gives me these instructions. This thing takes all these precision, you know, um, small screws have to be removed and different pieces have to be removed and everything fits perfectly. Like it just came out of a factory somewhere. And he just came up with this. This is This was his own probably third or fourth generation of tweaking it, but... It would be held together on the inside with a couple rubber bands and some duct tape if I built this thing, you know, and you wouldn't want to use it because it would catch your hand on fire. So as we talked to Mario, that's the thing I have to, I have to really stress is that he has embraced technology that I love that it's out there. And I love that, you know, we all need to know these things exist, but to know someone who who is so confident with it has been really wonderful. So Mario, you built an alien escape room. Can you talk about this?
0: Yeah. Um. So the escape room itself was for a. I was really sad that it was kind of a closed event because I would have loved for you guys to go through it. I think that would have been really cool. Um. But it, the I don't know if you guys know the YouTube channel I like to make stuff by any chance. It's a. It's another maker, and he has a, a Patreon called the, the Maker Alliance. So I'm a part of that, and um, it's just a group of uh, honestly a bunch of other people like me, and they all have, have uh, different skill sets and stuff like that. So uh the last couple of years I've been doing a gate or a uh, a big get together in Kentucky. And this year they decided to do an escape room like that was all, all 80s themed. And since I'm like the known alien nut in the uh in the Discord channel, there was like no question on what mine was gonna be. It was definitely gonna be alien related. I wanted to do more of aliens since I'm more of a fan of that movie, but I felt like alien, more alien themed than anything else, like kind of fit the bill a little bit better, uh just with like the escaping the ship and the countdown and like that X that flashes on the screen and especially the, uh, the self-destruct box at the end. I love that. And just like everything that goes into uh, like pulling the little stems off and then screwing them in and stuff like that with loving aliens as well. I did want to incorporate things like the Wayland yutani logo in the front of it to kind of give homage to that as well as using like a, a brown best color on it. And uh, as well as throwing in a little bit of alien isolation with the safe station, I think I was uh, right after that one picture that Fede released for the uh, upcoming movie, I think had the safe station in the background. It was right when I was 3D modeling this thing. I'm like, oh, that'd be a great way to like incorporate the little screen I have on the side. So that was a that was a really cool addition to try to, not a, uh, a one-for-one prop that I, I seem to like. Uh, I like to kind of play around with stuff in the lore, I guess you could say, instead of trying to make a one-for-one prop. But that's why I like to kind of, combining different things from the alien universe to try to make something somewhat original uh, for the escape room to go through. But yeah, uh, the escape room is all uh, different people bringing their own different projects of all 80s themed. Another really big one was the uh, Ark of the Covenant that was kind of in the center of the room. And what was cool about that is when they solved one of those puzzles uh, it set mine off. So then all the lights shut down and then uh, the yellow rotating lights kicked on and stuff like that. So yeah, that was a super fun thing to do.
3: So take us through, if you don't mind, like the flow of the escape room. I'd love to just kind of hear. So like the lights go, go on to your portion of it. And then like mm-hmm. what, I mean, is it okay to talk about? Or are people still like solving oh, it now? Or is it? Oh, no, it's actually all, sadly, it's all torn down. <laughs> so, oh, no. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Like
0: I have my thing. I'm actually, I just sold it, thankfully. So I'm going to go deliver that uh, next month. But yeah, that was kind of sad to take it apart. It was only for four days since it was like a big only hangout. Four with four
3: days. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, once the Ark of the Covenant gets set off, the, the lights in the room shut down and it switches to the flashers. Uh, and you have to have had this key card to put into the, uh, the safe station area. And that unlocks a set of instructions that you can flip through, uh, which my good friend Amanda put together. That was really cool. And uh, oh, also when the, uh, the lights get triggered, the little trap door, it's like a piece of acrylic. Uh, lowers down to use one of those metal switches that you you pull down and that uh, unlocks the lid that you can then lift up and then you get to all the, the pillars and stuff to lift up. And then all the pillars, uh they start red and once you get them all into place, they click the green so you know it's activated. And then a keypad in the middle starts to open up and that has uh, predator symbols on it as well. To make it not as easy of a code, but also since I'm a big predator fan.
2: So how many movies were involved? Like, how many different um, props from different movies? And was there a flow, like Patrick said? Did it start with one movie and then go to the next? Or was Aliens incorporated throughout?
0: Oh, um, so for everybody else's, there's probably a good, I want to say nine or ten different movies in there. The flow was a kind of, uh, the only two I believe that were connected were, uh, the Alien Project and the Ark of the Covenant Project. I was the only uh, alien one in the room. There was uh, Stranger Things, even though that's not technically 80s, but kind of fits the bill a little bit. Um, there was a Back to the Future one that was
1: really cool. And sometimes they didn't even have to be movies. It could just be uh, 80s theme. You mm-hmm. put out a video that really walked through all the steps, documented what you had made for your escape room, and that's, that's on your channel, Um and I would really highly recommend people checking it out just to... It's the closest any of us are going to get. There was this hot minute when I found images of your escape room on Instagram, and I'm writing these guys and I'm like, Okay, he's in New Jersey. We're all going to go to his house. We're all going to get to do the escape room together. <laughs> and then, you know, that didn't happen. So this video is the closest thing we can come to imagining what how what it must have been like to go through these different steps. And it really is very elaborate. You have... I don't know, five or six different components and there's these moving parts and the different lights. So I bet you blew them all out of the water with yours. Yeah, a lot of the other makers
0: were really giving me props, which was cool, especially from like other people who make stuff uh, for living and stuff like that. So for them to really like, they enjoy my puzzle. It was really cool to see.
3: Something that I am continually reminded of is, well, I think one of the staying thing, one of the things that makes Alien and aliens in particular really stand the test of time is how tactile they feel. And I don't just mean in terms of like the universe they inhabit and the sets, but like the ways in which objects are interacted with, especially in Alien, the fact that like to get a key card out, you have to punch, you know, this like, you know, beautiful like card through a hole and it unlocks a slot, which opens a gate. There's this beautiful causality to the ways that objects are in the environment, right? And I guess this is a question for Mario, but also for Christian, and while we're at it, for Andy. What do you think it is about the props in Alien, and aliens in particular, that give it such weight? And before you answer that question, to me, one of the reasons why isolation also stands the test of time is the pure joy the borderline fetishization that that game has with the tac- tactile nature of things, right? Like the fact that it's so process heavy, like when you have to save something that's, you know, it's a physical interaction with a device that takes time and it has a cause and an effect. And that happens, of wow. course, if you play Isolation, almost to the point of absurdity by the end of the movie. There's so many processes you have to press buttons and move things. And, but it feels beautiful and it feels like it's just... um it's so it's such a beautiful callback to the way that those films feel so a question i guess to all of you is what do you think makes the props in these movies so special
0: Uh, i guess i think the motion tracker itself is such a big one from aliens because if if you were to take the motion tracker out of that movie you lose like a crazy amount of suspense um and there because like just the way it sounds and then that plays into so many scenes where like okay they're so close but like where are they so there's such a big focus i think in alien specifically but you're you're definitely right even going into the, the mother room on the nostromo like the way that you you shove the key card in and you hear the noise and everything is it's just so cool um i was watching alien the other day and um the little cutting tool they use to try to get the face hugger off like i saw that and it's it's in the movie for not even like 10 seconds, probably. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to make that thing. Because it's it just like the way it looked was so cool. They just like, it's like slice the uh, facehugger figure. And then that was it. It was gone. The rest of the movie. Um, yeah. I think they just that old retro look, I think, plays a, a part of it, too. Of just it just looks so cool. And they usually play such a big part, at least in the first two movies. I think that's uh, maybe slate more of my gripe in the later movies. Don't have that as much. But yeah, something about those those props in that movie and how much they like, they weigh on the film. Even with the the cutting torch is used so often uh, in the movie to let Bishop into the the drain to go down to uh, to realign the. T- <laughs> Patrick, I do got to say, every time I watch Aliens and Bishop says that line about the dish.
3: <laughs> I the dish. I got a rigatoni on right now. You can't give me a minute. That's what he
0: sounds like. I crack up every time watching Aliens now um, <laughs> because you've done that a few I times. I may be
3: synthetic, but I ain't an idiot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, yeah. No. <laughs> That's, but, uh, That's the line. That's the line. <laughs> Patrick,
2: to answer your question, if I may, I think th- the the tactile nature that you were talking about absolutely rings true to all the, the kid in us. Right. Think about every children's museum you've ever been in. It's just full of things to push and pull and touch and um, and I think visually because it's so pr- you know all those all those things were real props they're practical it I think it just speaks to that inner kid in us like oh I want what is that I want to touch it look at that cool button everybody loves cool buttons I don't care who you are right so I I just think the design of it the fact that everything looks different and yet familiar in some way. Like, you know, we, we want to touch that. Like, it just, I just think it speaks to the kid and us.
3: Before Christian goes, I, I should clarify that Andy actually is a very talented maker. And I, I'm saying that because I'm looking at things literally right next to me that Andy has made and sent to my house before. So you are actually qualified to answer this question. I'm literally the only person who doesn't know Aww. what he's talking about <laughs> tonight. So I, I, I stand corrected on that. Christian, go ahead.
1: I think that Alien sets the tone as well with just the bulkiness of the things I have to work with. The, um, the spacesuits are just cumbersome, gigantic things that they're you know the actors actually couldn't even breathe in but for the for the sake of the the reality that they're in this is what they use to do the mining or the or the transport of the the stuff similarly um at the end like okay you need to go get these oxygen tanks and they're the biggest tanks and they're the the heaviest you know heaviest clankiest things you could ever have nothing is sleek nothing is small um, and that was clearly a choice they made, and I love that James Cameron picked up on that and said, okay, let's let's keep that going. Things are a little sleeker, and certainly the Marines don't feel quite as encumbered, but the flame units in the first film and the flame units in the second film both still have a weird amount of almost encrusted detail on them from how they were created, versus the, the pulse rifle is a, is a beautiful, very James Cameron-esque sleek weapon but the uh, the flame unit that the marines use is this bastard creation of multiple M16s shoved together in the wrong direction, with you know all these things added, and it's just gorgeous. It's it's gorgeously ugly, and for a one fleeting moment, Alien Three also gives us that in the the flight recorder, the thing that she she pulls out of the EEV and she wants Bishop to plug into, and even okay, let's talk about bringing Bishop back in that scene. It's not some sort of sleek, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little sensor on him and and he'll, he'll talk or whatever. It's just, she's shoving stuff in his ear. (laughs) So we always talk about that trilogy, having that uniform unified look, but it is absolutely a a tactile bulky, um, honestly impractical world. And, and then alien isolation. And you can just, I know we always talk about how great that is, but as Mario said, when you see the save station in the background of Fede's photo, completely on purpose that's not an accidental thing in there and it just you know we all see it we know what that means because we also respect the game for the exact same reason like yes that save station that belongs on screen we all knew it so i grew up on star trek next generation and it was the that was the the original everything is a flat panel that has lights you know and, and what fun is that right the, the the big joke was that william frakes as Riker would always sit on the panels and he's like why doesn't his butt set off 10 different buttons you know you wouldn't sit on a keyboard but these flat um uh, lifeless macintosh panels nah give me give me chunk, chunk chunk buttons that's my future
3: i never even thought of that if he shifts his weight a little bit he's going to take out a whole battalion
0: christian you were talking about the uh in Alien 3 when she was plugging in Bishop and how that looked. And I feel like that's my my work desk most of the time down here that I'm sitting at. <laughs> it's just like when I'm like halfway into a project, my desk is just like cluttered with stuff. And there's like wires just connected to different points and stuff like that.
1: If, you're, if your project ever tells you that it's just a glorified toaster, you'll know that it's time to pull the plug on it. You know. Yes. <laughs> Mario, do you have any projects that you're currently working on from the Alien films?
0: Uh, I do. I have a couple uh, right now that I'm, I'm slightly taking a little bit of a break from. Uh, is a the pulse the Nerf pulse rifle that came out a little bit ago? Um, and that thing's okay. It does look really nice. Um, I get really stuck on certain things. Like I, I love messing around and making things my own from the movie and like paying like homage. But like I got really stuck on this thing shooting ninety nine rounds and having that counter work. So I found. Um, these little Nerf hyper rounds. I know no one listening to this can see, but these little green balls. Um, so I'm working on trying to have a special Nerf gun shoot 99 of those. It won't exactly look like dead onto the pulse rifle, but I have an ammo counter and a working grenade launcher aspect in the bottom. I've also uh, started messing around with like 3D printed M40 shells to shoot a, uh, a dart out of as well. So a couple different things. I actually just bought a, uh, a a small metal lathe to make them out of aluminum, and they load in just like a shotgun. So that's <laughs> that's one of the alien projects I'm working on. And then uh, Christian, you have the the face hugger, I think, right now. So that is for a uh, a stasis tube. Well, not not that one specifically, because I'm, I'm going to try to make one with animatronics uh, that the fingers move inside of the tank. Uh, and that project I've been working on for before I even started making YouTube videos, I had originally made one out of cardboard. Uh, and I had a, a glass, like a big glass face that I filled with water and this thing was going to live in. But then I got a, a big 3D printer. So I'm like, OK, I'll, I'll be able to make it not out of cardboard and I'll make it all in of plastic. And... As I was starting to put that one together, and that one had sit for like about a year, the plastic didn't exactly fit on the glass too well. And I ended up busting the glass <laughs> on that. So, like, I had this giant tenant's like, circle of a base that was just like busted. And I'm like, I kind of wanted to make it out of metal anyway. So, I keep upgrading my project. So, I feel like in a, a few years, I'm, I'm, that one's like my back burner project of, of anything else. Um, I would love to cut out. a a stasis like the base and the top portion out of uh steel weld that all together i have i already made the new acrylic tube that's not glass that holds water i have it literally sitting probably eight feet next to me that has just had water in it for the longest time just to make sure it's not leaking i feel like that would be a good test but yeah so this will it's not going to be a one-to-one from aliens i actually want to have a uh a screen in the top portion of the stasis tank that kind of runs like diagnostics and stuff like that and maybe have like a touch screen uh things like that and also have a setting to where like the light in the side the the water would like flash red like a warning thing and the face i would start like freaking out with its fingers maybe get like the tail whipping a little bit so that is my uh that, that one's a little bit of ways but that one I think I'm going to be the most happy with when it's all said and done
2: that sounds awesome <laughs> When you when you complete these projects, like do you have a display room? Like if it's not being used for a cool immersive escape room experience, um, what do you do with them? I'm curious.
0: <laughs> so my my last two have I broken my rule twice, which is don't build anything that you don't have space for. And the last two things I <laughs> built were giant boxes. Uh, I made a, a Minecraft furnace that's uh, actually usable. Um, and it's about like, a, it's a 26 inch squ- square and it has a grill in the front and it also can melt uh, metal, uh, like just like it does in the game. So that's currently sitting in the garage and I still live at my parents' house. My mother is nice enough to never park in there. So I have a shop um, for that. Uh, the escape the room project is sitting right next to that as well. But all the smaller ones, I either have... Uh, in my room or kind of like at my desk area downstairs, like my handball, are sitting like right up by my monitors and stuff like that. Uh, my room, I have a bunch of alien stuff and I have 10 predator masks that I have from sideshow that are in there. So yeah. Wherever I can find wall space, uh, for the time being until I get a new house and can kind of set up like a, a little cave down somewhere in a basement. Uh, that's where it kind of stays. Oh, and going back to the the future projects and stuff, I would love to have like an alien's hive somewhere in a house. There's just like all the secreted like resin somewhere. Probably scare everybody, but like I would have my desk fully in there. I'd be totally fine living down there.
3: And you know it would look delicious. I gotta say, the resin <clears throat> always looks very tasty to me. I'm so jealous of you and and all of you guys like that. You can like this is the sort of thing I I, I always like want to do, and I think about it, and I like draw it on a napkin, and then it just never happens because I lack the talent, the knowledge, the resources, the experience, and literally everything that it takes to do this. Like the fact that you're talking so nonchalantly about having a face hugger twitch animatronically inside of a canister that like you know changes color when there's an alert sequence going off, like that's freaking awesome. So I just want to kind of throw that out there, and uh, and I I guess if if I could say like what what, if there's one dream prop that you have if you had all the resources in the world, all the time in the world, all the space in the world, if you could build anything, what would it be? I'll, I'll pose that to all of us.
2: I have visions of like an Airbnb that's just each room is like kind of like the Alien Museum in Barcelona, but each room is a different set, like the one bedroom would be the, um, you know, the, oh my God, I'm blanking. Like when they wake up the freezers, right? Like that would be your bed. I always thought that would be so cool. So just like a whole house, I'm going to go big. What about you guys?
1: The fact that the Nostromo was a connected set for a deck, uh, really does appeal. I I can, I totally hear what you're saying. We don't really see where their, their beds are. So you'd have to modify it slightly the sulaco you have some discrete areas that were shown but i don't know how you get from point a to point b Uh, oh boy though i would love to just have the the galley of the nostromo yes but then i'd want the bridge and then i'd want the mother room (laughs) (laughs) oh man uh and having dabbled a little bit with kind of trying to create large-scale sets like that the the real killer is the room You know, you can't, you can't cram this stuff too much. It needs breathing space and, um, you know, without winning the megabucks, I don't know how to, how to make that happen. Mario, what would you do? Oh man, this is, this is tough. Uh,
0: this doesn't really pertain to that, but I remember when I was a little bit younger, um, I remember seeing a alien queen on eBay for like, it was life-size too. And I think it was like. $30,000 $30,000 or something like that. So I'm like, I would love to, do, like, I'm 12, and I'm like, I'd love to have a house that big where I can just have this thing sitting there. Um, uh, the power loader would be a great one to work on. You guys talking about the sets have kind of changed my mind a little bit. A lot of alien sets would be great. Like uh, even like the, the weapon holders for all the pulse rifles, like in that armory room, uh, a little bit of everything like that. Oh man. Yeah. A lot of sets from aliens. I think as well, that would be cool to just have a where you can't look somewhere and be taken out of it and just be totally submersed in that would be fantastic. I think a, a full on alien escape room that doesn't have like any other themes would be a really fun project to do. I could have like a uh, remote controlled face hugger that could chase people around. That would be really fun.
3: <laughs> and that we would be invited to if you um, do it That correct. would be for more than four days. Mario, please. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yes.
1: The hallway of Hadley's Hope, that long corridor. I would, I mean, I don't even know how you'd even begin because it's, it's so impractical really, you know, it has a couple of, of branching, you know, side corridors that lead to rooms, but you'd be devoting something the size of a football field to just something that you walk through. (laughs) But, Oh, I would love that. I would love it to lead to something. That's how you get to the theater. That's the home theater hallway, you know, and and one of the sides leads to the restrooms. The other leads to the concession stand and, and Mario has a face hugger that can chase you <laughs> or to create the APC to make a working drivable. I mean, this is, I'm just, you know, in, in Jay Leno land here, but I, w- I want to have, you know, my, my own, um, what does Jay Leno have? He has all of his vehicles in like an airport, a uh, hangar or something. Yeah, it's or, called his garage, but yeah, it's a, I think it's
3: a hangar in an airport.
1: Well, the APC was was a tug made to pull, you know, airplanes. That's, Why Jay Leno didn't spend the money to recreate the APC, I'll never understand. Patrick, come on. We're all really big at this point. So, (laughs) yeah,
3: I'm going to go big. I also do want to redirect the question back to props in particular again. I actually like that it's taken this incredibly fantastical, like, Andy, I want to go to the Airbnb, like, soon. So I'm going to ask you to please work on that. We can use some Patreon money. I think they would understand. (laughs) No, for, for me, my vision since we moved into this house has always been not to have all my crap up here, but to have it in the basement, which Andy has been in. Um, And to have, I want to have a mother room down there, which is going to be for listening to music, because I think it's an acoustically perfect sphere, like it would be a perfect place to listen to music. So I'd have speakers hidden within it. And then leading into it, I've actually drafted this up with my mom. Which is funny because it's also mother, but, uh, but my actual mom, who's, who's like the one that got the maker jeans in the family, uh, to have like a hallway that would basically be like outer space with some shelving in it and some like LED twinkle lights. And that would be my collection. So all this shit that's all over my office and in the closets, you know, you can kind of walk through and it's like an experience that nobody will ever care about other than me and the three people who see it but that's fine and you kind of go through space and then you emerge in the mother room and then you know if you want to you can hang out in there and listen to music and stuff and um you know and i would have it all like acoustically engineered so in the center of the room would be the exact focal point that the sounds would come from that's kind of that's kind of my dream but i do think i want to talk about props though in particular too, like small things what the only kind of making experience that i have and it's actually not that not not that minor, is I, I ran a business for a while in grad school repairing circuit boards. And that got me into this whole like, you know, what else can I do with it? And I discovered circuit bending, which is, uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of that. It's where you can reroute circuit boards using soldering to be able to create new junctions between things and new capacitors, and you can add things to it. And uh, so I would buy things like Furbies or Speak and Spells, a lot of 80s electronics, very simple circuitry, and rewire them add controllers and and you know pots to it and uh, and capacitors and things and actually create new instruments out of these things. So I have a whole closet full of this like you know island of lost toys of these weird resoldered circuit board instruments. And I've actually written music for them and done performances it's, it's it's pretty cool. Um but the reason I'm bringing all this up other than to humble brag is because uh something that I love about for example the when so when uh Hudson runs the bypass right outside when he's going into the colony right like you can actually see how that would work because, like, he exposes like this the circuit board and he plugs into it with a ribbon, you know, with a band of, of Christians reaching for something. Let's see, there it is. He's got the pouch. Let's see what he's gonna do. I'm narrating, Christian. You keep going.
1: This is just terrible podcasting, but it is a great. People are gonna love it. ASMR. There's the uh, there's the Velcro. It sounded um, like
3: a burp, but it's okay.
1: And <laughs> wow. I have uh, you know all the
2: oh
3: wow
1: oh my it, god it was, Christian come on. Come on, but you've someone's got to build me the the bypass box that opens the door so that- I could be the one that does that. Well, all Mario, right. would, Mario, dude, Mario about, would do a better no, job of that. We, yeah. we can work on it together, man. Well, that's mine all. would make a fucking
3: squeaking noise and a bunch of lights would go off, so it'd be, you know, it'd be bad. But, but I, what, I, what I'm saying, though, is I love how the more you learn about the engineering of things, and of course, for people like Mario who really understands the electrical engineering behind things, I'm sure it's a whole different level of understanding. The more you understand them, the more the props actually hold up. And I think that's part of what's so cool about them. Other things to me that I just want to point out as I'm kind of freewheeling here is uh, Christian, you, you had a great point earlier about keyboards and the ways in which data are input in in this universe. I love, for example, when Bishop is remote piloting, uh, you know, the ship. Like you see his fingers clacking on these tactile keys, and they make this beautiful, loud foley effect that's just like so. It's just so tactile when they're inputting into the mother module, and it's the same thing—the clicking and clacking of keys. Um, I, I the reason I'm saying this is because I think sound plays a really big role in why these things have held up so well and I think the foley artists did an amazing job in those two movies and in Alien 3 for what it's worth although it's kind of an A technical environment so it's different making it feel like you can't not only do you like feel these things but you can hear them I think a major reason why the key card that goes into the mother room in Alien is such an iconic effect and is one that we see that's like a very commonly reproduced one uh you know Mario did an incredible job of doing something very analogous to it himself I've seen that Uh, I think one of the reasons for that is because we love that sound. We love the funk and the opening and the. Uh, And I think that like what what I love is this, there's this dimensionality to the ways props appear in these movies that is really hard to replicate elsewhere. So I'm going to end this incredibly all over the place comment by redirecting the question to the props themselves. If you could, and maybe you already have build or, you know, attain one particular prop, what would it be?
1: so i've been on a journey for like 12 years of making the things right and perfecting it like trying trying always iteration after iteration to get closer and so i've hit a lot of the big ones for myself the metal armor uh the drop ship helmet the smart gun hel- um headset one that i haven't yet because it's pretty daunting and expensive is to make an all metal pulse rifle with uh decommissioned gun parts you know that it has a shotgun um, mounted in the bottom, it's it's a, a Thompson submachine gun. There's a lot of uh, legality to these things. You have to go through certain steps. Easier than you in the U.S. than it would be in the U.K., for example. But just also the the shroud, the overall part, is made of hammered aluminum, and that's really hard. That's that's a skill set I don't have. Um, and the, the available ones that are out there are um, they're beyond my reach. But it's the sort of thing where. I would love to have an all metal pulse rifle that has that chunk, you know, that the um that the pump action gives you and, and all those things. Because it's it's again, it's the weight of the actual prop that the actors had. The hero gun weighed this much. And so you'd have that connection. And then just quick one, I would actually like to make a uh full scale working Joe out of like a a, a Halloween, you know, um, step on the pad and it kind of jumps at you, kind of thing. Like make one that that recites the lines and has the glowing eyes and just kind of moves. I think that would be extremely unnerving, and uh, just kind of fun to have behind me in my office for Zoom calls. <laughs> it could just be rolling a magazine. <laughs> How about you guys?
3: I just want to say uh, there's a, a great YouTube channel not as great as Mario's, which we'll get a a number of shout outs on tonight's program, but it's called wicked makers. And they do a great job of exactly what you're talking about, where they take like spirit Halloween animatronics and strip them down and then turn them into other things. Like they did a huge, you know, full scale five nights at Freddy's series and things. And so um, there's, there's people out there doing that and it's probably not as expensive as you might think, because a lot of the expensive stuff is already kind of taken care of. So do it.
1: Christian.
0: I absolutely love that working Joe idea. I, that, that's so creepy, especially if you just had that in the background, like you could have like i I'm not sure if it's in isolation, but I know it's in a uh, fire team elite where they kind of have those stands around them. Like it's like they're, I don't know if it's a charging station or something like that. And they just have those eyes. And if you were to upload and have like in proximity, when, whenever it sends motion and just have it spout off lines from isolation, that would be absolutely terrifying. I, man, I do love that idea um i think for mine it's definitely that that face hugger one i'm talking about because like the animatronics part for me is uh that's brand new so if i'm able to nail a face hugger that has all moving fingers i'd be pretty happy with that uh i i would like to make the the stasis pods as well everyone like and have like hydraulic doors like open up like that like if i had like a I could take like a nap, like a quick resting nap in my workshop, and I just jumped in that and then i just going to sleep. Um that and probably like a full thing of Colonial Marine Armor. And I would say that would that would probably I, I would be good.
2: I'm gonna go with the half-eaten donut myself. <laughs> I know that's one that I could actually do. No, in all seriousness though, I would say like to me, I love being an anatomy teacher and all I love the in the the internal like the face hugger I would love to recreate that um you know even just uh Bishop when he's severed in half and just all of his innards coming out that I would I would be really into recreating that less, I'm less of a metal, you know, I love, I love the guns. I love the weaponry. I love all that. But I think the organic props would really be up my alley. What about you? Oh, well, Patrick, you mentioned yours, right? Well, mother, Cousins. but I,
3: I, in uh, terms of oh, the bypass, I would also take yes. that. I think in terms of if I could somehow have like way more skill than I have, I would love to recreate Carlo Rimbaldi's draw mechanism because to me, That is like one of the incredible, I mean, Carlo Rombaldi, talk about an industry Titan, you know, like he's the guy behind ET. He's the guy behind a lot of the things that make eighties movies look as realistic as they look, especially in science fiction and horror. And I think that, you know, we, we talk about gear all the time and we should but we really never talk about Carlo Rombaldi and what he was able to achieve. And one of my favorite parts of the, the USC exhibit in LA that I got to go to with uh, with Jamie back in 2019 was getting to see Rombaldi's sketches in person, which of course I've seen like on the internet, but getting to see his diagrams for how the jaw was going to slot in and into the head. Uh, I just, it was just a really kind of emotional moment for me because to me, like the, the, the lasting images from Alien that I will always turn back to are the derelict, obviously, and the first time that Brett turns around and sees... Is face to face with a creature, which to me are are maybe the two greatest shots in science fiction, which is a slightly stilted opinion, but you know, (laughs) that's mine. Christian, what were you going to say?
1: I was just going to ask Andy, like you, you would like the dissection, the dissected face hugger that Bishop and Ash both had kind of laid out with pins. Uh, Oh boy, that would be fun to make too, because you know, in reality, they used um, oysters and, and different actual things, but to make something that has that look, but but keeps, you know, it doesn't smell. Yes, <laughs> unless the smell is important to it. Um, but wait, what was the other one you said, Andy? The, uh, the oh, donut? the bishop, the bishop. <laughs> oh no, yeah, we can all make the we can all make the donut. And every time you, I take a bite out of a plain donut, I kind of look at it for a second. <laughs>
3: oh, me too. I order strawberry donuts just to have that moment with it. You know,
1: <laughs> um, I wanted to make a half bishop Halloween costume where like a, a a rigid tutu you'd be wearing a piece of flooring and then you'd have a fake stomach sticking out with all the white intestines and, and you would do the white on your chin and you'd be holding the, the floor because that's what bishop's doing and so you'd walk around and you know one out of a hundred people would know what you are and- <laughs> uh,
2: let's let's do it we we both could do that that would oh, be yeah. oh,
1: comic-con you can be, you can be one half and i'll be the other <laughs> just a a pair of legs that are slowly going, going out the air. Nobody's going to have any idea what the fuck that (laughs) costume is. Just the legs from Bishop. Did Uh, you guys see, there was a video from this year's dragon con. Um, They, they recreated the moment in twister where the, 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 hurricane or the you know whatever it is is going along and there's some people are in inflatable cow costumes and then one person is bill paxton and one person is helen hunt and they're reciting the actual lines as they're all spinning in circles and and other people are just the wind and just it was like this ridiculous performance art but all of us were like oh yeah i remember that scene i haven't watched that movie in 20 years but oh yeah i know what you're talking about that's cute so that's that would be us we'd have somebody doing the the, the high-pitched scream and ah We'd win,
2: and literally one out of a hundred people would know.
1: Yep, yep.
2: But it would be worth it.
3: They'd love us for that, that one. I just <laughs> like I like the idea of like one of you leaving to get a drink, and then one of you just being legs standing. There.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking the legs would have to be like worn higher, and then you'd be wearing like a black unitard to hide the rest of you. Yeah, so your could face work. be peeking out of the crotch or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but they'd all think you were from that um, that movie, the Pixar movie. Right? Oh. Did you see that one
3: with uh, legs sticking? With the, what what movie is it? No,
2: it's literally a movie yeah. where the dad is just legs, like most of the movie. Outbound or Outward?
3: It's, it's uh, like oh yeah, that movie. Oh, the that came out during COVID. Yeah, yes. onward, yeah.
2: <laughs> so they would just think you were that. But
3: that works, yeah. you know.
2: And that works too. You could, yeah. you know.
3: So as we come towards a close here, Mario, uh, I want to turn the floor over to you, first off, to like if there's anything else you want to share about your work, what you have planned, but also because we've been teasing it for like an hour now, what your actual YouTube channel is, and especially where people can find more of your work, because as you might have guessed, this is not, podcasting is not the most visual format, and we're talking about primarily visual things tonight, uh, and it would be great to see them in person. So Mario, where can people find you and anything else you want to add?
0: Uh, you can find me at Wired Workshop and that goes for YouTube and Instagram is where I post uh, mainly all my stuff. YouTube's like my full project builds and Instagram will be uh, like kind of project updates as I work on them or story posts of like kind of what I'm working on at the moment. Uh, I do, I don't know if, if you guys have time, but uh, I do have a couple other like alien things to throw at you if you guys would be down. Oh,
3: bring it on, man. That's what we're here for.
0: Okay, so Alien Three is is a tough one for me. If you were to ask me, which I, I might get kicked off the podcast for saying this, um, which movie I liked better five years ago, Resurrection or Alien Three, I would have said Resurrection. <laughs> but I'm
3: <laughs> Patrick has left <laughs> the building. <laughs> I, I turn my video off for a I'm, second.
0: <laughs> I have watched those two a lot more recently, um, and I have I have grown a. A good appreciation for Alien 3. Um, for sure. And listening to the podcast and listening to you guys talk about it. I, I will say I like the movie. I did not before. I do now. I do like the movie. Um, I, I think it was the Newton Hicks thing for how much I love the aliens, which I know that's like that story is I know over like overtold on why people don't like that movie. Um, so I can forgive the decision to kill them off. Um, but I don't know if I can ever forgive them for the way that they did it. So I wanted to see what you guys would think um, about a, an opening that kind of goes into Covenant um, and how they did. So you guys know James Franco's character in the very beginning of the movie. Did any of you guys care when he died? Did you guys like have any feeling just he's kind of like burned? Um, I feel like if you gave three to five minutes... In the beginning of Alien 3. And if you saw. Like Ripley look at Newt. Catch on fire in that thing. I I would probably cry. Every single time I watch that. And I feel like you would have. Like a way more sad time. Going through Alien 3. Like watching Newton Hicks. Instead of like them do like quick cuts. Of like everything that's happening. Because I feel like me. And like the more like aliens people. We're just like. Even halfway through Alien 3, you're still pissed about the very like first three minutes of the movie versus like if you would just give like three or five minutes where you got to get to see Newton Hicks. And they would like you have them die traumatic like that in front of Ripley um, versus the, the way they did it. But I just kind of wanted to see what you guys did, because I feel like that was wasted in Covenant because there was a brand new character that no one cares about versus something devastating happening to two characters that you loved. And like seeing that more fleshed out instead of just like, Oh, the ship crashed and
1: they die. I'm speechless. First of all, at the suggestion of showing Newt die in a more horrific way. (laughs) But I think what you're getting at is, I mean, it's, it's the first 30 seconds. We're, we're given these jump cuts and the characters are dead. And it's just, um, it's either brilliant if you're Patrick or it is the worst filmmaking ever. Yeah. Um, the problem of course is that Michael Bean didn't want to come back with the script that they had and Carrie Hen had outgrown the role. So I think they just made, you know, they made the choice that they needed to make, but I, I feel like covenant already is weirdly paralleling alien three by killing off Shaw off screen and, and giving us a brutal sort of um, autopsy of her, of her body. And it just seems such a, a tone deaf choice to make when, We've already gone through that as fans. Like, why would you? Why would you repeat that? And not that Shaw is anywhere near as as likable as Newt, but it still seemed kind of funny. And I, I hate that. I hate that it's James Franco, first of all, just full stop. And I hate that you have to watch uh, a YouTube video shot by Ridley Scott's son in order to have any context for this character. And that 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 video that his son made actually has more character development and more camaraderie than the entire movie that it's supporting. I hate that. <laughs> but I'm not here to talk about Alien Covenant. What do you guys think about the opening of Alien 3?
2: <laughs> well, I have a question for Mario. How old were you when you saw Alien 3? Do you remember?
0: I want to say around 11, 11 12, probably. So this was two weeks ago. Six. <laughs>
2: Exactly, I'm like you're a baby, and you're uh, no. And in all honesty, I think it. I think the age you see it too also affects you. You know, and I was, you know, in high school, and I was very much and in, in just heartbroken by that as well. And I think that, as over time, I think it's something that n- most fans of the series will tell you that as they've watched it and as, I'm, I'm not saying it's a maturity thing i think it's, it's one of those things where people are like okay now like it sits with you you know and i think um it took me a long time and i agree with you it kind of took me this podcast i'm gonna i'm gonna tip my hat to you guys as well they made very good persuasive arguments that sort of you know, didn't fully convert me, but definitely brought me to that side. So keep listening and you might just (laughs) come to appreciate it even more.
3: I think that's, uh, Andy, you made a couple of really good points tonight. And I think this is a particularly great one in that I saw Alien 3 when I was eight or nine, I think. And that I think is part of why I didn't have that same emotional difficulty with the intro so by the time i really matured enough to care in a more deep way about the longer lives of these characters i think i'd already kind of been used to the idea that they were taken away so callously and i've never considered that until until tonight and when i think back to people that i've had this conversation with because this is, is something that comes up as you all i'm sure you know experienced um most of the people that are unwilling to budge on this are older than i am I think of somebody like Michael McCulloch who is a great friend of mine and of the show and has been on many times who's slightly older than me, not, not by a lot, but a little bit, I think, uh, I'm assuming he's not in which case, I'm sorry, Michael. Um, but you know, but he, for example, like for like refused to watch alien three for years because of this. And I never had that. I think it's because I was young enough to not be so, you know, devastated. That being said, Mario brings up a really interesting point, which is do we treat her death and Hicks's demise with more visceral attention, or do we keep it as it is now? Of course, the reason why it's treated so callously and so quickly is just because Vincent Ward made that decision when he was brought on in his script draft because he just didn't want to deal with the baggage of having those characters in the movie he was not a huge alien fan he was not you know aligned with aliens in any real way he was just this new zealand filmmaker who was given this opportunity made a quick decision to make what he thought was a better script and w- which i think probably was a better script because of the absence of those characters because it helps reduce ripley to her molten core you know um but that that's why it's so quick and uh it's interesting i i i think it's made the movie much more complicated for a lot of us my personal feelings on it are that I don't need to see more because we get the autopsy scene. And to me that delivers after the fact that really visceral, emotional, difficult punch that the beginning kind of glosses over. But I mean, listeners write in and tell us what you think about that. That's a great point, Mario.
0: Yeah. It's something that I've just, I I thought about a little bit, just of like, how do you just get a, like kill off the two characters that you come to love so much, but it's like, I, I finally come to terms with it. I can appreciate Alien 3 uh, so much more. And it, it is funny, uh, Andy, what you were saying, because I remember when I was listening to one of the episodes and uh, Jamie and Patrick were saying, yeah, Alien 3 is like, that's my favorite one. I was, I think I stopped. Like, I think I was working on the part. I'm like, what? I'm like, How can that be? But <laughs> <laughs> no, it is really, it has come to be a, a lot more
1: of an enjoyable movie for me, but that the beginning scene still hurts uh, a little bit for me. I just know that because of my age and when I saw the films, I lived in that period between aliens and alien three. And in many ways with the dark horse comics that were coming out with, you know, the friends that I had because I was between like the ages of 11 and 14 or something. And that those like my Stand By me years, right? Those were my friends. The, this was our movie aliens and alien was like this documentary that came before it. <laughs> We'd have to sit through the documentary before it gets the action film. But we were so deeply invested in Dark Horse's um, early comic series where they had Newt 10 years older and and Hicks, a battle scarred, you know, veteran Um, for Alien 3 to wipe that out of the the water. It just took a long time to get over that. And I don't know, I feel like we're in a really interesting period now where um, there've been a couple of books, Bishop being one of them, that really do say, yes, Alien 3 is canonical and we're going to take those plot points and explore them and and see what it leads to so i feel like uh there there probably have been more horror movies than anything else where they brought a character back for an opening scene just to kill them off then um and i don't know how i feel about that as far as where that would put alien 3
2: mario i think this is one of the questions that we're all just gonna like for me there's a part of me that absolutely hates it. There's a part of me that has accepted it and I'm with you. And I, it's that, it's, there's always that dichotomy. And every time I watch it, it stings a little bit. It definitely stings still. So I'm I'm there, but no, I love that. Patrick, just quick question. Is Alien 3 still your fave?
3: It depends on if I'm watching it. Okay. It's in the abstract. It's not in the abstract. <laughs> Alien is my favorite movie. And then I watched Alien 3 and I'm like, this is my favorite movie of all time. And then four days go by and I'm like, I think I like Alien more. And then I watch <laughs> it again. That's the thing. Okay. If I'm in the presence of it, then I, yeah. but I have another thought, but I could finish, finish what you're saying, Eddie, first.
2: No, that was just, that was it. Well, it's go just
3: what, what I'm going to say is that to me, Alien 3 philosophically doesn't work without that scene the way that it is, I really do think. I think that the philosophical thing that Alien 3 is setting out to say is that this is the dark night of the soul for Rivley. And I mean that in, in the philosophical idea of a dark night of the soul. It is the negation of everything that she was, every hope that she had, every dream that she had, everything that she had going for her is stripped away, right, as we talked about many times. And in that in the darkest part of her existence, in, in a part of it where many people would have just killed themselves because it would have been a lot easier than to go through what she was left with, she somehow emerges a hero and, and ends with one final act that is so powerful and so profound that I think to me, it totally pulls that arc back and you see Newton Hicks and what she does at the end. You see the future of humanity and you see what she strove for to me. So yeah, I think I think that the, the incredibly dark, difficult, borderline nihilist opening to that movie sets us up for a real, truly redemptive, beautiful emergence from it later on. Um, although it's like a Phoenix rising from the ashes, but this Phoenix is actually falling into them. Um, Mario, you said you had another, another point. Okay. So
0: this one's kind of, I feel like this has stretched along like the last like year and a half of you guys doing your show. Um, cause you guys had talked about the, the egg on the Sulaco as one too, and it can even go with the egg morphing and stuff like that. I feel like, and this could pop up. I should probably pay attention to more I don't know if this popped up anywhere. But uh, the the aliens' adaptability to whatever its surrounding is, and I feel like because we all know like what the life cycle is, but I feel like there's a part of all of the movies so far to where that can change, and I think that's all just on the alien trying to survive it. Like how how would an egg grow for that face? That doesn't make any sense. But I think like when there was that one left. It can change and maybe like do a last ditch effort. Or even uh some people talk about not liking aliens because it dumps down
1: the
0: the alien. So I think if you compare the one on the Nostromo, who's like a lot more he's like slower, he's not more of like a hack and slash as it is in aliens. We can almost look at there was one. So now it's become more of a smarter like that's almost like the hive mind's that one and now it has to set up a base so since it's not a queen yet possibly it would start to make eggs so it kind of does like it doesn't follow a, a certain set of rules like it does whatever it needs to it's an environment and it doesn't necessarily have to be the same um each time and just depending on its situation that's maybe that's why like the queen would be the smartest one about all the warriors so maybe they're not all as smart as whatever that first one that originates. And as soon as you dwindle it down to one, it kind of gets that survival aspect. And even, I know, uh, I haven't read too much of the comics, but I know like Petroleum or the jelly uh, takes a little bit to become a Praetorian. And I feel like that could even play into that's a new way they wanted to try to upgrade themselves. But like that could totally happen in a different way, possibly somewhere else.
1: You know, that's, I'm actually really excited for Romulus for this exact reason, is that we have a very, regimented idea this is the alien's life cycle and this is what it must do and i feel you you're never going to have a comic book or a novel or a video game give us a completely new version that people will accept as canonical it's going to take another filmmaker and clearly in the prequels Ridley Scott was doing a little bit of that the with the black goo and all these different things but i i'm hoping that either Fede Alvarez or Noah Hawley on the tv show will give us a a a logical disruption, a, a new way that the alien, you know, when, when presented with a new situation, reveals yet another way that it can adapt. And I think the egg on in Alien 3 can be looked at as that. Like you're saying, it, it it grew very quickly. We're not quite sure how it got there, but it it is there. And therefore, we have to accept that the aliens adapted for that situation.
2: Yeah, I just, I think, um, I think what you're asking, right, is, does it make sense that the alien evolves and changes in its environment? I think there's so many examples of that. So I think um, some people I could see have a problem with that because then it it reduces the alien to more of like an Earth-like creature, whereas some people prefer to keep it more alien. I think either one works. I think that explanation um, makes sense within the, con. you know, they needed an egg in the third one. So I think you could definitely make sense of that story for sure.
3: I look at it sort of as the, the, the creature itself, the XX121 alien creature that we're talking about is, is a hyper survivalist organism, right? It's almost like an extremophile. Like we've talked about on our biology episode, Andy uh, and Christian, you know, with, with, uh, Alex and um, and their science advisor, like to me, there are some organisms that will do whatever it takes to ensure the proliferation of their species. And I think that the alien is like the most extreme of those. And we see that in its life cycle, which through the movies, for whatever reason, is increasingly fast. and but in the first film, of course, as we know, it was supposed to only be live for a few days, almost like an insect. Like it was so quick to proliferate and to grow and to metabolize and to propagate and then to die. And then I think what's so cool is that then in the as the movies go on we see how that shows up in different environments like how different aliens are well suited to the unique circumstances they find themselves in and in some cases even if you want to look at Resurrection right that was like a bioengineered semi-humanoid alien uh like the intellect that they had allowed them to escape the confines that the humans had created for them right like there's little there's little moments like that sprinkled throughout so I I think that you might totally be onto something and and I think that could be absolutely right it's it's my least favorite thing about aliens, and it's probably the thing that holds that movie back for me somewhat is that they do feel disposable to me in that movie. I also understand why, and I also am a sucker for Fireteam Elite, and I also adore aliens as a film, so like I get it. But um, they're they are not to me scary in uh on a you know to scale the way that they are in the first film. But I think as a mass, as a horde, they're scary in a very different way. And I like that the movie plays with that a lot and that you do have this queen. But then you also have examples in the expanded universe where, for example, the species is in a very different place and it goes dormant for billions of years, for example, gestating in an engineer that happens at one point. Um, or you have examples where, you know, there's a queen who has been marooned from her hive and she's sending out psychic signals to find them again. So it's almost like she's hyper-intelligent. Um, there I, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that there's an interesting uh, you know, diversity to the ways in which these things think and operate and proliferate. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a cool point too, man.
1: Patrick, did you just say that an alien escaped from a room? Is there an alien escape room? An alien escape
3: room? <laughs>
1: <laughs> in alien resurrection. Oh, that's I- right.
3: I, I literally <laughs> forgot that point, but that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. We uh, yeah. could might even say that was the original alien escape room was, yeah. uh, was those aliens escaping from their hatch.
0: I just think that's always cool to, Uh, at least in in my head, it helps me like wrap around like not like a super like concrete way. So I I feel like even with like not liking um, like the more drone or not uh, the warrior style where they attack in bugs, it's like, you can almost say it's like, Oh, it kind of dumbs down the alien. But at least if if you think about it in the way of maybe that they're not all supposed to be as smart as the one, because it's easier for one leader to control its troops. If you have that one smarter one, that's like kind of, I know I feel like there's there's always a way to twist it around somewhere like in movie. Like even with David like making um the the alien. I know a lot of people had a problem with that too, um, in Covenant. And you kind of look like, well, maybe he just re like it always can like go back to like its original form. So he just like reverse engineered what the engineers had already done. So I feel like there's there's little loopholes in my head that I can take to kind of curve it back to maybe whichever direction you want it to be to kind of leave that a mystery around that creature um so you don't get like stuck so i feel like they they give everyone an opportunity um to not leave a concrete idea which i think is what i like about the movies as well
3: I like that too, but I also think it's probably just sloppy filmmaking. But I'm also like very happy that it's sloppy. Like many of the reasons why I still love Covenant so much is because there's plenty of loopholes for me to put my own reasoning into. And that is one of the main ones. Also, the fact that the Neomorph and the Protomorph or whatever it is that come out don't act at all like the aliens in the previous movies. They act really rudimentary and really, um, you know, stupid. Like in in terms of like they're not cunning, they're just very animalistic, very, you know, vicious, uh, very like instinctive. Which to me lends credence to the idea that David is trying to reverse engineer something or trying to recreate something that he discovered notes to um, and and creating some sort of a prototypical form of them that's not really the full thing. Anyway, that being said, uh, I think we should wrap. It's been almost an hour and a half. This has been an amazing conversation, Mario. And I'm so glad you come on. I really hope you come on again. This has been a lot of fun. I really encourage everybody to check out Mario's YouTube and Instagram, which are both Wired Workshop uh you know please check it out and uh, and keep up you know there's links in the description of the show and uh uh thank you so much mario for coming on
1: absolutely this was a blast guys we should definitely thank have mario so back after uh after alien day after the film comes out so we can talk a little bit more in depth and the many many ways he's helped out with this film um but we don't want to spoil things so mario thank you for coming absolutely. on absolutely yeah no problem guys i'd love to be back
3: all right great thanks everybody
1: To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.